You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into this Friday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm the host of this show, and today I've got Brent Daughtry and Cam Berry with me here, coming to you live from our studios on South College Street. Uh, fun show planned for you today. We've got a lot of college basketball to talk about uh, as the Sweet 16 got underway last night in the men's tournament, and it did not disappoint. We'll also preview tonight's games and look ahead towards the weekend and a, and a what to watch for over the weekend. Unfortunately, uh, if you were listening yesterday around the halfway point in the show or later, uh, you heard that our Auburn Bank phone line uh, stopped working. Uh, unfortunately, that has been an office-wide issue yesterday and throughout today. And uh, we are not going to be able to get a fix for it until probably this weekend. So we will not be able to take phone calls today. We certainly do apologize for that. Uh, again, a pretty massive technical failure. And so uh, we will be working on that. And we hope Monday uh, we are able to get that straightened out in time for a new week of sports call. But it will just be the voices of Canberry, Brent Daughtry, and myself today uh, with you for the full three hours. But still a lot of great stuff to talk about, as mentioned. So we hope you, you stick around. We've got to talk some Auburn football recruiting, tell you about the, uh, the, the newest addition to the 2024 recruiting class, uh, which came in a couple of hours today. And again, as I mentioned, all the Sweet 16 talk and also an official uh, Atlanta Braves preview today as we were not able to get to that on yesterday's show. So a lot to do today. Again, Ryan, Brant, and Cam. Brant, we'll start with you today. How are you doing, sir? I'm fantastic, man. Uh, been on the show a lot this week, but uh, yeah, doing feeling good. Uh, basketball was incredible last night. Can only hope it, it, it kind of lives up to it tonight. Uh, just looking for more great basketball on the Sweet 16 and uh, you know, what's the kid's name from Kansas State? Oh, the, Marquise Noel. Marquise Noel. That, that dude's different. He was <laughs> at, at, set a record uh, for most assists in an NCAA tournament game, had 20, 20 points, 19 assists. Uh, so just an incredible performance from him and from Kansas State as a whole. And uh, just hoping for more of that tonight. Yeah, and uh, recruiting news, Jamarian Burnett, four-star running back out of Andalusia High School, big boy, 6'1", 2". 220, a nickname Fat, uh, P-H-A-T, if you're curious. Uh, it just uh, uh, averaged like eight yards a carry last year for the state champion Andalusia Bulldogs. So a, another big-time pickup for Cadillac Williams. He's gotten his guy about five years in a row now. And just a, a great, great job from Cadillac Williams and the rest of that staff as well uh, in getting Jamarian Burnett. And, uh, yeah, a, a lot to get into. Braves, there's a lot of news there that, I, you know, we'll get into it, but – 
yeah, happy it's a Friday and uh, glad to be here. We will definitely make it a fun Friday today. Cam Barry, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> doing great, yeah. Um, great basketball, like Brant was saying. I mean, Marquise Noel, just a, a point guard masterclass. No other way to really um, describe it. And then, you know, followed it up with another great game in UCLA and Gonzaga and, and coming down to the last few seconds in that one. Um, Strother hitting a three. You could kind of the yeah, almost the exact same play if you saw the Villanova North Carolina game in uh, 2016, um, where he just kind of dropped it back and he he hit the three kind of deep and a great shot. Uh, yeah, Braves and then also uh, Auburn baseball got a, a walk off walk win um, last night, um, a four pitch walk off win. So a great. Um, great for them, and, and tomorrow uh, tonight they're gonna um, hopefully try and win the series. I'll be I'll be there tonight to watch the game, so hopefully uh, the Tigers can get a win. So I'm excited. Yeah, doing great though. Definitely glad it's Friday. And we do need to talk some Auburn baseball too, as you mentioned. That was a very epic win uh, last night. They were down six to three, uh, and uh, were able. Actually, they were down four three going in the ninth. Gave up two in the ninth. Did not look good. They were then able to tie it in the bottom ninth and eventually win it on a basis loaded walk in the bottom of the 11th. We'll talk a little bit later about why that series against Georgia is so important uh, throughout this weekend. Let's start, though, again with what Brant mentioned uh, first with Jamari and Burnett, Fat Burnett uh, committing to Auburn today. Four-star running back, rated 247 consensus as the number 10 running back in the class uh, for 2024. You look at Auburn right now in the 2024 class, four commitments, uh, all pretty significant ones. Walker White, of course, the quarterback out of Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, Fat Burnett, who is out of Andalusia, Alabama. Jaden Lewis, a four-star corner out of Anniston. And Amon Lane, a four-star corner out of Alabaster. So the first four guys uh, committing to Auburn in the 2024 class are four-star guys. Uh, a good, uh, solid start for the class. But guys, uh, you know, again, Auburn has recruiting the the running back position well for a long time, but but certainly uh, these last few years have been no exception, bringing in Jeremiah Cobb and, uh, from this, I guess, previous class or this class that just wrapped up and coming in the fold for this falls team. Uh, you, you obviously know about Tank Bigsby and, and, and Jarquez Hunter, and now uh, another quality four-star running back headed to the Plains for the 2024 class. Yeah, Auburn's running back room is going to be set for a very long time. Um, just the continuous recruiting of, of very high talent um, back there. Obviously, Auburn's kind of always been able to stake its name on the quality of running backs that it's brought in. Um, and they're continuing it. Like like uh, Brant said, Cadillac's always getting his guy, uh, continuously so. And, and I mean, who's, who better to recruit for Auburn in the running back position than, than somebody like that? Um, and yeah, it, it's exciting to see um, Auburn continuing to get these commits, uh, really pushing hard. Obviously, 2024. Hugh Freeze said that 2024 is going to be the class um, that he can kind of can kind of stake his tenure on and build around. Um, and and you know got Walker White at quarterback, so they have the the quarterback of the class. So it's exciting to see. Um, <clears throat> and and how this this team is going and how he's building the direction is very exciting. What's crazy is I looked at when when Burnett committed. I, I kind of did a little bit of research on him. Andalusia went fourteen and one last year in route to their state championship. Their one loss came to Montgomery Catholic, which is where Jeremiah Cobb played last right, season. So right. Auburn now has both running backs, both featured running backs that played in that game. 
Uh, and then, so Montgomery Catholic beat them in the regular season, and then uh, Andalusia avenged that loss in the semifinals of the state playoffs uh, before going to the state championship and beating, I, I can't remember who they beat, but uh, but kind of some weird crossover there, but now Auburn has both of those running backs, and you know the tailback position has been a point of pride for Auburn since, I, since the 80s. So that and that's not going away anytime soon, I don't think. Yeah, this uh, this commit obviously with Jamari Burnett, a bigger guy as mentioned. Uh, that's a part of the reason why he goes by fat. Uh, not that he is actually three hundred pounds or anything like that, but six uh, one, listed about two twenty to two thirty, depending on where you're looking. Uh, I know uh, on three has him at, at around two thirty there. Uh, definitely a, a a bigger guy. I think for Auburn, when you're talking about, as you guys referenced, uh, the, the recruiting process for Auburn and, and how important Hugh Freeze is viewing the 2024 class, it's it's very important to him because it's really going to be his first full one. I mean, he, he right. definitely did some patchwork on the 23 class and made some late gains there, but uh, coming from such a, uh, a low place, as noted when, when Harson left, I mean, Auburn was in the 50s and 60s, uh, for the class, obviously there there was not going to be the kind of, of building of that class that, that a typical Hugh Freeze class would have wanted, and so twenty four is the first real crack at it from start to finish to try and bring in a big class. And, and again, you're reading between the lines. Yesterday we were talking about the fact that the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball was kind of just being honest with the fact that they're a little behind where they want to be in the spring and, and, and a lot of work to be done. You're, you you kind of parlay that from, okay, this team is not where they want it, and then you go to, okay, the emphasis of the 24 class. I think it's pretty easy to tell that they feel like they've got to get a lot more town in. Yeah. They, they've got to, uh, obviously, in this day and age with the SEC – uh, being king, just college sports growing the way they've had the last two decades. You know, not guaranteed to have five years to go fix it, so you need to get the first recruiting class as a base down, uh, down pat. And so, uh, so far, uh, checking these boxes for 2024 again with four four-star guys. We've talked a little bit about and mentioned that uh, there are uh, multiple guys still committed to the likes of Bama and Georgia that. Uh, Auburn is trying to to still uh, recruit despite having already commitments there. That's the nature of, of high school recruiting, obviously. Commitments are not finalized until pen goes to paper. But, uh, again, the, the attitude of this recruiting uh, staff clearly different from the ones we saw the last couple of years. And, again, not any absolute home run five-star guys yet. Uh, but also a already noticeably higher quality than some of the guys they were getting the last two years. Hugh Freeze understands, at the very least, you cannot win without high-end talent. <clears throat> no. Um, and that's something that Brian Harson did not understand, and it's something that Gus Malzahn was unable to execute on if he did understand it. Gus Malzahn did a great job recruiting at certain positions, right, but, but others, others he got behind the eight ball, and we've talked – over and over and over to the point that I'm sick of talking about it uh, with with the whole negative recruiting with, around Gus Malzahn. Um, but yeah, it, Auburn's not going to surpass Georgia. They're not going to surpass Alabama. But they can surpass just about everybody else. Um, and when Nick Saban leaves Alabama, we'll see what happens there. But for, the, for, for where we are right now, I don't think Auburn is going to get ahead of those two schools. But the likes of LSU and Arkansas and Ole Miss, you, you can pass those teams. Florida, Tennessee... Um, 
it's all about effort here. You know, recruiting to Auburn is not the most difficult thing in the world, despite what someone have you believe. Uh, you just got to go out there and do it. Um, and, and again, being sa- again being sandwiched between Tuscaloosa and Athens is a tough ask. But right. there are enough great athletes in this area. You can go and get good players. Um, and again, you you cannot win without good players. Now you can sure lose with them, but you cannot win without them. Yeah, and, and you know it's it's really night and day in in how the recruiting has been in the last few years and how it seems like it's going to be looking in the future. Um, and I mean, just the continuous building of you know the class in twenty four and, and in twenty three, he still got you know Hugh Freeze Dill still got some really solid pickups um, that that'll still be in the core of this team. Uh, so I, I mean, it's just exciting to see. I, I think. Um, I think you know he's he's going to be able to build something. I agree with you. You know it's going to be hard to keep up with Athens and uh, the and and Tuscaloosa um, for as long as they're going to be great and how they do their run their programs. But um, everybody else, yeah, you should if you're Auburn, you should be able to see that you can surpass them um, and build a solid team enough to at least be able to compete with um, those teams on the field. If you can create a good enough strategy, then um, you know. If you're in Auburn, you should be able to win that game or at least, you know, feel confident that you stand a chance when you're in Auburn now in Athens and Tuscaloosa. That's obviously a different story, but at least you'll be able to defend home field. I feel like that's the key in this. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and you know, maybe win, I guess, Auburn – well, I guess the SEC is probably going to go to a, a no division, right? In right. One, so I guess not really winning, but at least getting a top two, top three, finishing somewhere along the lines of that. Um, it's going to be interesting, you know, how that ends up playing out and it'll be a 12 team playoff, but um, continuing to do that, I feel like if you finish top three, top four in the SEC, you'll, you'll probably end up in the 12 team playoff um, depending on obviously how the other conferences are. But I would, I would think that if you're finishing top four, that you're probably in yeah. the playoff and, yeah, with that, I mean, that's that's I would say that would be an a successful season uh, if you're if you're Hugh Freeze and if you're Auburn. Yeah, well, I mean, it, the 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 twelve team playoff will change the target a right. little bit for for just about everybody. I mean, all all power conferences will have the opportunity to, opportunity to put multiple teams in. That does not for mean sure. that they will. I right. mean, there will be. Uh, conferences like the SEC and Big Ten that probably do just about every year, but someone like the Pac-12, and, and there is a sixth guaranteed conference champion, so someone like the AAC or something might uh, might will we'll only Slide have one. one. Yeah. But uh, it, it will allow access for teams without winning their, their conference. Now, of course, for the SEC side of things, uh, this will also come with the arrival of Oklahoma and Texas, which will also uh, bear new recruiting things. challenges right. for, for everyone. Uh, and certainly be a part of that that faction that expects to try and make the playoff each and every year. Um, I do want to go over one more thing recruiting-wise before we take our first break. I had saved this way back three weeks ago, and now is the correct time to bring this up as we have uh, Auburn getting a, uh, a on-300 uh, player today, a, a guy ranked in the top 300 of on-3s. Uh, recruiting rankings, and he's in the top 300 of, of anyone's, but but just using on threes 
uh, graphic right here. Uh, three weeks ago, they updated at the first of March. They updated where all of their top 300 players were coming from, which states they resided from. Right. So I want you guys to guess the top five. There's nothing too surprising in here. Maybe the order of one of these states is a little different than I thought it would be. Uh, but guys, guess the five uh, top five states that have the most three top 300 recruits for the 2024 class. Oh, do, uh, do you want me to try and guess in order or just give the top five? Try and give me an order. Okay. You can start one or five. Uh, okay, I'll I'll start at I'll start at five, five. Ooh, actually, I think it'll be easier to start at one. Honestly, it probably one, will be. Yeah. Um, one, Georgia. Two, no, no. no. Texas. Is it Texas? Texas. Okay, two, I was going to say okay. Texas or California. One Texas, two California, three Georgia. No, no, no. You Georgia's second. Georgia's second. Georgia's so, second. Texas okay. is third. Then uh, Texas is first. California is third. Or excuse me, California. Excuse me. Where's Florida in all this? <laughs> Florida, yeah. Florida's, Florida's in the Does top five, want to surely. Collect their thoughts? Okay, Texas is one. Yeah. Georgia is two. Yeah. Okay, three is? California. Florida. Florida by one mm. over Ooh. California. Okay. And then fifth. That fifth state, I don't know. Is I, it? Is it Alabama? I knew the class in 23 in Alabama was huge. I didn't know if four was if 24 was going to Louisiana? No? Good guesses. Indiana. One of them is correct. It is oh. the state of Alabama. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. So, of the top 300 players, 59, that is 20% essentially, are from the state of Texas. Then 38 from Georgia, so that's over 10%. 29 from Florida, which is, again, practically 10%. 28 from California. And then a pretty big drop, but Alabama is fifth with 13 players hey, uh, from the state in the, the top 300. And Auburn now has a couple of them. Uh, factoring in Fat Burnett today, uh, other notables, Maryland uh, is actually sixth with 10. Hmm. And then you have some teams in the upper single digits, like our team states, like Mississippi with nine, North Carolina with eight, Pennsylvania with seven. Interesting. What are the states that have one? And more than that, one how would you like to be that one kid? <laughs> Just uh, know, like, you are by far the best player in the so state. So let me start with states that have zero. Maine. Mm-hmm. Not surprising. New Hampshire, Vermont, Rhode Island. All the small northeast the, states. Yeah, those northeast Delaware. states. Delaware. So, Just uh, tiny. Then Hawaii, Alaska. Really? Yeah, not, yeah, not surprising. And then there are a few out west. One of these is surprising, very surprising. Here are the non-surprisings. North Dakota, Montana, right. Wyoming, yep. New Mexico. They don't even play football out there. Colorado. Does not have a top three. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's surprising. Which is interesting. They usually, yeah. And then Kansas does not have a top really? three hundred. Kansas Colorado would have like one, maybe two. Kansas not having one is is a little surprising to me. Uh, states with one, Minnesota, Minnesota, uh, one for Oregon, one for Idaho, one for Nebraska, one for South Dakota, and I'm making sure there's none in the Northeast. No, everyone. Uh, West Virginia only has one. Mm. And I missed another zero. How about Kentucky with zero? Really? Oh, that's yeah. surprising. So, yeah, it was a fascinating map. I just didn't know when to interject it in the conversation. But that's the point is, is okay, look, you've got the number two state that borders the state of Alabama. Right. The number three state borders the state of Alabama down the Gulf Coast with Florida. The number five state is the state of Alabama. And then also in the top ten, Mississippi with nine and obviously not far distances to reach a state like North Carolina and a state 
like Texas. So again, uh, if you listen at all to our sister station, then the Paul Feinbaum show, which hopefully you don't, because that means you don't listen to us at this time. <laughs> Uh, but they down south, Paul. Yeah, I mean that's where real. the the majority of these the great half. recruits are. I mean, you take uh, just between the south and California. <laughs> yeah, just, just between Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. I mean that's about seventy five right there. And then if you want to throw Texas in as a southern state, I know it's not southeast, but it's definitely south. Yeah, that's about one hundred and thirty just between those four states. Man. Um, and, and that's nearly half the top 300. So, uh, But the point of that, again, Jamarian Burnett, Fat Burnett from Andalusia, uh, running back four-star in the 2024 class, commits to Auburn University earlier today, one of four commits for the 2024 class. We need our first timeout of the show. Today, when we come back, birthdays in sports, you're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call on this Friday afternoon. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Brant Daughtry with you here. Coming to you live from our studios on South College Street. Again, we apologize. We're not able to take phone calls. If you do try and call or if you've already tried to call, it will ring like we are able to hear it. Uh, We cannot hear it or see it. Uh, It is not coming through on our our end. So even though you might be getting a a dial tone or something, uh, all of our communications on this end are out for the moment. We hope to get those resolved over the course of the weekend and be able to be back to normal on Monday. And again, we do apologize that we're not able to take your phone calls. We certainly appreciate everyone for taking the time out of their day to get their thoughts in uh, throughout these days and weeks on our, our Auburn Bank phone line. And we certainly will let you know when we get that back up and running. Let's get to today's birthdays in sports, shall we? It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Birthdays in Sports is presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you. One location on Gay Street in Auburn and the other on Frederick Road in Opelika. Let Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. Peyton Manning turns 47 today. The Sheriff was the first overall pick in the 1998 NFL Draft. The Indianapolis Colts out of Tennessee played 18 seasons, 14 for Indy, 4 for the Broncos. In his senior year at Tennessee, he was first-team All-SEC. Maxwell Award winner, Johnny United's Golden Arm Award winner, Davey O'Brien Award winner, SEC Player of the Year and SEC Champion, number 16, retired by UT and the University of Tennessee Athletics Hall of Fame. 
in the NFL, two-time Super Bowl champion. He was a Super Bowl MVP, five-time NFL MVP, two-time NFL Offensive Player of the Year, 2005 Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, 2012 NFL Comeback Player of the Year, 14-time Pro Bowler, four-time passing touchdown leader, three-time passing yard leader, and a whole lot of other accolades. Uh, his yeah. uh, number 18 is retired and in the Broncos ring uh, ring of fame. Also, his number 18 honored uh, for or his uh, number 18 honored in the 2016 Tennessee of the Year, 2017 College Football Hall of Fame, 2018 Colorado Sports Hall of Fame, and other Hall of Fames in Louisiana, Indiana, <laughs> uh, wow. as well. And the 2021, of course, Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think I got most of it. Peyton Manning turns 47. Have you ever heard of him? Pretty good. Yes. <laughs> uh, many a year were good because uh, for the Colts and Broncos because he was quite good. Chris Bosch turns 39 today. Center fourth overall pick to the Toronto Raptors in the 2003 draft out of Georgia Tech. Played 14 seasons, seven each with the Raptors and Heat. Out of high school, Bosch was 2002 Texas Mr. Basketball and a McDonald's All-American. At Georgia Tech, he was 2003 ACC Rookie of the Year, second-team All-ACC. In the NBA, two-time NBA champion, 11-time All-Star, 04 Rookie Team, All-NBA uh, all second-team in 07. His jersey's retired by the Heat. 2021 Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame inductee. Also won a bronze medal in the 06 FIBA uh, at 06 FIBA bronze medalist and 08 Olympic gold medalist with Team USA. Chris Bosch turns 39 today. Love Chris Bosch. He's a, he's a real cool guy. He was a very excellent player. Hate that he had the health issues. I know. And Gary Templeton turned 67. He was a shortstop and 13th overall pick in the 1974 MLB draft to St. Louis Cardinals out of high school. Templeton also played for the Padres and Mets in his 16 seasons. He was a three-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner. He's inducted into the San Diego Padres Hall of Fame, first switch hitter to get 100 hits from each side of the plate. He also went on to manage various minor league teams after his retirement. Gary Templeton turned 67. And Jose Valverde turns 45 uh, today, nicknamed Papa Grande. He was a pitcher signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2003 as an undrafted free agent from the Dominican Republic. Also played for the Astros, Tigers, and Metropolitans in 12 MLB seasons. Three-time All-Star, three-time saves leader, two-time Rollins Relief Man of the Year, and 2011 Delivery Man of the Year. Jose Valverde turns 45 today. And those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. Again, Jose Valverde, Gary Templeton, Peyton Manning, and Chris Bosch today. Pretty good list. A lot oh, yeah. of accolades. Yeah. Uh, we don't always define great birthdays based off of accolades because some are, are doing things currently. Uh, but, but certainly those guys who are all retired, they did a lot uh, in the professional ranks. Uh, and I uh, hope they all have a happy birthday. True. We're going to take our next time out of the show. More sports call coming up after this. We'll start to break down what we saw in the Sweet 16 last night. Well, a little bit later, we'll also look ahead to what we hope to see tonight and throughout the weekend in college basketball. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call. easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa 
Play Sports Call Auburn. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Friday afternoon. Ryan LeBoy, Cam Berry, and Brandon Daughtry with you here. Last night we saw a lot of entertaining stuff in the resumption of March Madness in the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. Uh, we had previewed those games at pretty good length yesterday during the, the latter portion of our shows. And uh, really three of the four games were tremendous in their own way. Uh, the one that was not was Arkansas and UConn. Uh, Connecticut was up, I think, like 20-17 to 17 and then went on a 14-2 or 14-0 run. And that was pretty much all she wrote for the Razorbacks. I, I don't think Arkansas ever cut that back closer to, to 12 or 13. So, uh, so UConn got a pretty demonstrative victory over Arkansas. They are through to the Elite Eight. Joining them in the Elite Eight. We'll talk about the game that concluded last night's festivities first. Gonzaga and UCLA. UCLA dominated the first half up by double digits at the break uh, and then decided for about 11 minutes to not make a single field goal. And it was not too late, as it turned out, for them to start making them at the end. They forced a turnover. They found the right uh, shooters for Gonzaga, they actually hit a three to go up one with 12 seconds left. And then for the second time in three years, Sheesh. Gonzaga with a not quite a buzzer beater this time, but with a death shot uh, to the UCLA Bruins uh, from Julian Strother this time, a th- nearly 30-footer yeah. uh, with seven seconds left. And Gonzaga goes through to the Elite Eight, 79 to 76 guys i mean your takeaways from that game uh i, I know cam sometimes you're not up as late at night yeah. but were you able to catch some of that i or? did i watched until halftime actually um and my biggest takeaway is that drew timmy is really really good at basketball in the post Still especially <laughs> a very very talented player i mean and so efficient 16 for 24 from the field i mean was pretty much getting whatever he wanted down underneath um and rebounding well, I mean, just his footwork and his post presence is is ridiculous. I don't know, you know, a lot of people say he won't be a great pro, pro player, so and so, whatever. I don't know, but we can appreciate what he does for for the Zags, and and they're, I mean, he's pretty much their entire engine, really, and and everybody feeds uh, feeds off of him. I mean, the next highest score was sixteen with Strother, so I mean, <laughs> he carried the entire team. Um, UCLA, I mean, you know, like you said, they dominated the first half. Just that that collapse in the second half is really what, I mean, it, it really did them in. And, you know, they were able to get back within. And, and to uh, Amari Bailey did hit the three to to give them an opportunity to win. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's just some heartbreak for him, uh, in all honesty. I mean, that was a great game, you know, I, a very good game. You can't really – be mad about it outside of obviously the collapse for UCLA, but um, 
I mean, they were missing their best defensive player. They got, I feel like, as far as they could have in this situation. Maybe one, maybe just getting to the Elite Eight. I think I had them in my Elite Eight, if I remember correctly. Um, And then losing. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I just lost that. (laughs) Anyway. um, So, yeah, UCLA is, is, yeah, I mean, heartbreak for them. But, yeah, I mean, credit to the... Credit to Gonzaga. They 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 played their hearts out and, and they ended up with a win. Yeah, I'll be totally honest. When when I was watching that game, Strathers they're down by one, and he comes across half court, and he stands on the S, the second S in Madness in the March Madness logo, and he stops. And I'm going, there's no way. And when when he pop when he shot the three, I said out loud. Now, why the hell would you shoot that? <laughs> and then the ball went in the hoop. <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess that's why. But, yeah, an incredible performance. And, hey, man, if there's anything that this year has taught me, it's that we need to stop acting like 12 points is a secure, is a secure right. lead in a game of basketball. Seriously. I've um, seen a lot of comebacks, not just in March Madness, but, uh, I mean, with Auburn throughout the season. Had had a couple of lead, had a couple of double-digit leads they couldn't hold on to. But, uh Man, incredible night of basketball um, in that one especially. Just two threes uh, that you thought were going to be daggers. Uh, and, you know, it, almost that half-court heave at the very end, that sucker almost Wasn't went in. bad. It was close. Yeah. Uh, just an incredible game from, from start to finish, really. We, we projected that that game would probably be the best of the night. It ultimately was not quite the best of the night. We'll talk about the one that was in just a moment, but – uh, this was just from a quality of play standpoint. I mean, these two teams, you both could have made an argument for them to get to the final four, uh, maybe even further. And, you know, for UCLA, it's heartbreak against the Zags two times in three years. Again, that, that's got to uh, sting for them. Uh, for Gonzaga, they had to have every bit of that Drew Timmy performance. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and look again, the college game still decidedly different in, in what is good for a scoring performance and that sort of thing uh, than, than the NBA game. I mean, thirty point games happen every day in the NBA, but to score thirty plus points in college in a in a big stage like this was Formidable. an incredible uh, yeah. performance from Timmy. Now. For UCLA, again, I do want to commend them because for 11 minutes they stunk, they awful, they were awful, they choked. They, they like I, I, There's no defense on this earth that UCLA, as good as they are, should not hit a field goal in 11 minutes. Really? I mean, that, yeah, that's just simply sure. not acceptable. However, to their credit, they made one. Yaquez finally made one, got an and one. And then from that point, they played a perfect minute and a half. They forced a turnover. They fouled the lowest percentage Gonzaga free throw shooters. Gonzaga, to their credit, uh, to UCLA's uh, a credit, they they aided them in missing those free throws. And then, yeah, like kind of like what Brand said at the end there. I went double no way because first when UCLA got the open three down to, I said no way, kind of in reference to man, he got open. Right, Burnett got open for this buried it so i said no way then and then when strother pulled up with still seven seconds left from 30 feet i said in air no way and and then it was yes way he he made it and and then of course the turnover for ucla a tiger campbell tried to get in yeah quickly i mean there's five seconds left it's chaos and he turns it over but just that game lived up to every part of it and and, sure. and uh, Gonzaga, 
uh, and UConn will be a tremendous game. We'll preview that game a little bit later. Uh, but that game, you know, screw the seed lines because that's a three versus four game. Right. Those teams have true, truly good talent. They're playing well. Uh, they're connected. They have very notably important players and good players, and, and looking forward to that one. Uh, the other side of the bracket, Michigan State and Kansas State was the game Wee. that started us off, and boy, did it start off the evening oh, for everyone. Gosh. Uh, 98 to 93, K State over Michigan State. The Big Ten's last team fought till the bitter end. Uh, so much happened after this, but just going back to. Uh, Noel's performance and just, just well, I mean, where do you want to start with, with this? And I mean, teams made shots. We didn't see a whole lot of that oh. in the first two weekends, but both these teams were making a lot of shots. I think yeah. the, the coolest moment of the weekend has to be when Noel is coming across half court. He's got a left hand dribble. He and his head coach are like communicating back and forth, and his coach is telling him one thing. He's saying, "No, I want to run this," and then he just looks up and throws a lob to a guy who dunks the alley while they're while he's trying to talk to his coach. It's just he was that locked in, uh, where even while he's trying to talk with his coach and not pay attention to what's in front of him, he just sees it out of the corner of his eye yeah, right. and throws it up for an easy bucket. So just a, <clears throat> an incredible performance from him. I wish I had more to say about this game. It really. Marquise Newell is 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 the beginning, middle, and end of this game. I think. I I mean, a hundred percent. He absolutely controlled the entirety of the game. I'm watching right and just seeing how how he's really just dictating everything throughout the. I mean, 19 assists. I, he had like nine assists or ten, he had ten assists. I think at halftime, and I'm already like, oh my gosh, dude! Like this guy is diamond everybody up. I mean, just setting it up and everything. They were talking about it at the beginning of the, at the, at the as they were previewing the game. They said the key to to you know beating Kansas State is getting Noel to finish finish plays because he looks to pass as he's driving. He's really truly a point guard. Like in in terms of he's driving to kick. Um, Michigan State did a lot of helping over um, as he was driving, and uh, they they he just kept kicking the ball out he kept just kind of finding the open man and every time it, it just ha- I mean, and even still he had some i mean just absolutely incredible passes like like brant said the the half court pass uh to Keontae johnson for a reverse dunk i mean just ridiculous and then he had another pass with his right hand um in the first half that it was just absolutely ridiculous. He just like underhanded it all the way to the center. It was under yeah. the back. I mean, throw the needle. Dude, yeah, I, I, I remember mean, that. Pass. I was sitting there and I was like, that's ridiculously hard yeah. to do. Uh, just, I mean, he was like, Brent couldn't have said it any, any better. He was absolutely locked in and, and still credit to Michigan state. They played a really, really good game. Um, they were shooting well. Like you, like you said, Ryan. Every, I mean, everybody was hitting shots. It was, it was a very, very good and competitive game. Um, nobody really, you know, separated themselves by a whole, whole bunch. And then, obviously, the game ended up going into overtime. And I, I just thought it was an all-time game, an all-time performance by Marquise Noel. Um, and it was just a pleasure to watch. I mean, just absolutely. I, I can't say any better. I can't say it again. Just an absolute point guard masterclass yeah I, I mean the record had been 18 assists right for an ncaa tournament game noel set that with 19 you know he 
again, this is he kind of perfectly embodied a, a college player for a minute because he took a couple of just awful <laughs> oh, threes my God. to, to uh, end the game. Yeah, that, just, yeah, to just end awful regulation. stuff. And yet he still played one of the all-time games in the tournament because of those 19 assists. And again, going back to in reference to Timmy's big night. 19 assists, I mean, look, that, to be fair, that's a lot for the NBA too, but we see 13 and 14 right. a, a lot. Right. 19 assists, in a, and I know that went to overtime, but 19 assists in a 40-minute college basketball game, uh, given that uh, the scoring is obviously lower. I mean, think about it this way. They had 38 field goals. He assisted on half of them. He also made seven, so he was responsible for 26 of the 38 that's shots insane, that they made. Dude. Uh, so he was incredible uh, all night. Also, Keontae Johnson, we talked a little bit about him yesterday. Former Florida uh, from, Gator. From Florida, who had the, the health scare while a Gator. He was huge, 22 points on 10 of 18. And again, the shooting in all of this uh, for, uh, again, I forget exactly what it, what it became after Sunday's games, but going into Sunday's games in the – round of 32 the last day the three-point shooting combined was like 30 and a half almost 31 percent we went over the numbers yesterday with auburn basketball auburn shot 31 and a half percent from three this year that was 320th in the nation right so essentially everyone was combining to shoot like one of the 30 or 40 worst three-point shooting teams (laughs) uh throughout the entirety of the tournament coming into last night so to see K-State go 11 of 24 from three, Michigan State 13 of 25 from three, that's a combined 24 of 49 from three. We had just not seen uh, that kind of shooting very often. So that was a hell of a game. And then one more game to talk about here uh, from last night. And before we take our end of our break, that Florida Atlantic in Tennessee game. And let me just, I'm just going to let you go after I say this sentence, okay? This is March for you. Tennessee beat Duke I know, right? and then lost to Florida Atlantic. You guys have the floor. Owls. 30, I mean, 30. <laughs> That's all I got. Owls. <laughs> a well, an absolutely well-coached team, I think, is, is what Florida Atlantic is. Not to say that Tennessee is not well-coached or anything like that, but um, they played a very – Florida Atlantic just played a really solid all-around game. Didn't shoot very well from three, but – um, they were able to um, just kind of get around the paint, and, and Tennessee just didn't shoot well. Uh, Tennessee Tennessee is just not a good shooting team. I mean, Plasic, 4 for 10 from the field. Vescovy, 3 for 11. Josiah James, 3 for 11. So they just did not shoot the ball well at all. I, I, um, obviously, they rely a lot on their defense, and uh, – you know, when that and it was working very well in the first half, I'll I'll, I'll say that much. Uh, Tennessee's defense was disrupting FAU um, very very much, and then uh, it just seems like in the second half, um, you know, FAU was man- and managed to turn it around, and and uh, Tennessee wasn't able to make any shots. Um, I think they were definitely missing Zakai Ziegler a little bit, uh, just kind of how he controls the game and, and some of the decisions. Uh, that that he makes, I think they were missing him some, um, and that ultimately ended up costing them the game. And and so here we are, another kind of disappointing season. If you're Tennessee, um, and if you're Florida Atlantic, you're over the moon. I mean, you're about to be in in the elite. You're in the elite eight, um, facing 
I think they found out who they faced to today, correct? They found out who they faced today, right? Uh, Tennessee and Florida. Uh, no, no. Like who Florida Atlantic plays in the uh, Elite Eight? Uh, yeah, no, no, it was decided last night because they, they pair these games up. So Florida oh, okay. plays Kansas State. Okay, so they play Kansas State. Yeah. So you're in the Elite Eight, you get to play Kansas State, um, and, and you're over the moon. I mean, I'm, they're celebrating with their fans, and, and Conference USA is kind of you know on the map a little bit in terms of of um, how they're being seen. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's exciting for them. Um, and for Tennessee, like I said, just a kind of disappointing end to the season. Well, again, the the dangers of teams that rely so heavily on defense because right. in this offensively slanted game, again, I've been on uh, a high horse about it for a couple of weeks now, and it'll continue till the tournament ends, and we'll do it all over again next year. Yeah, but the the margin of error for these teams just isn't like it is for these other offensive teams because Tennessee needed. Kumwa to have another one. Uh, an yeah. all amazing true, game true. against Duke. He had 27 right. and they still got to what 64 65 points. So last night Kumwa then returns to form and has 6 and then Vescovi is a little off at 3 of 11 and that's pretty much it. You're right. you're almost guaranteed to not have a good game yeah. once the hot man in Kumwa and then the best player overall in Vescovi don't don't play well. And so right. they end up at 55 and you know, sixty-two is still a low score, but Florida Atlantic, we talked about a thirty-seven and a half percent three-point team. They're going to hit a few. They're right. going to take them, and they're going to hit a few. And that's all it's taking against these really heavily defensive-minded teams because they just don't generate the offense in the clutch moments usually. Uh, and the other team just gets gets going with a few. They get momentum. Florida Atlantic was pretty bogged down the first first half, but midway through the second half, they had a sequence where they got four or five straight open looks, hit right. three of them. I mean, they just got the momentum uh, behind them, uh, and, it, and it's tough to stop at that point. And I uh, can't really deep dive in this because only got a minute left. But again, you know, if you're a Tennessee fan uh, and you have, or you just follow the career of Rick Barnes. I just don't know how this guy is going to get over this hump. Yeah, I just uh, don't see he, it. He did go to a Final Four at Texas, but in his very long career at Texas, which spanned from 1998 to 2015, he was out in the round of uh, 64 six times and out in the round of 32 additional five times. So 11 of the 17 years he was at Texas, they're out in the first week, and they did miss a couple tournaments too. I mean, this guy has just proven for 20 years now that there's just something about his teams and his style that, that can't go all the way through uh, through March. And so, you know, I, look, he, baseline-wise, he's clearly still a solid coach. He has brought some really good regular season teams to the table in Knoxville, but – I mean, you finally get a huge tournament win while at Tennessee against Duke, of all people. And again, what I started off this 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 thought with, then you lose to Florida Atlantic. And again, no disrespect to the Owls, but that's Mar- right. the craziness of March for you. And Tennessee missed a golden opportunity to make a very deep run in the tournament. We're out of time for hour number one. We'll break up the tournament talk in hour number two with some Atlanta Braves, also some Auburn baseball uh, talk as they get set for game two of their series against Georgia tonight. Stay tuned. More Sports Call coming up after this timeout.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starts right now on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, and I've got Brant Daughtry and Cam Berry with me here this afternoon. Again, we apologize that we are not able to take phone calls today. Uh, we had an issue around the halfway point of the show yesterday, and it is office-wide. You can't call any of our stations right now. You would hear it ringing, but uh, we are not re- on the receiving end of any of that. So we hope to get that fixed this weekend and hope to be back uh, taking callers as normal uh, on Monday. We appreciate all of you for understanding. If you missed the first hour, we talked a lot about the Sweet 16 games from last night. Excuse me. And if you missed any of that, you can check it out in the Sports Call podcast, which is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever missed Sports Call Live, if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast and join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola. Taste the feeling. Uh, as promised, let's talk a little Atlanta Braves to open up hour number two and give kind of a season preview for the Braves and a few reminders about Major League Baseball uh, for the 2023 season. Of course, we're proud affiliates of the Atlanta Braves over on AM 1230 WAUD. If you've been listening to AUD on the weekends, you've already heard a few spring training games for the Braves. But opening day for Atlanta is next Thursday. We also hope to chat uh, with some of our Braves pals in, in the coming weeks to, to kind of preview the season and get things underway uh, as well. But next Thursday at noon, the Braves open up in Washington against the Nationals. Uh, it's going to be another season in which the Braves start on the road, uh, but another season in which the Braves will have lofty expectations. Uh, it's worth noting that in recent days and weeks, some of the biggest competition in the National League's Eastern Division has suffered pretty critical losses. First to Edwin Diaz in the World's Baseball Classic. Of course, the Mets closer uh, with a season-ending injury sustained in the World Baseball Classic, celebrating after a big victory. And then just yesterday, I believe, Reese Hoskins of the Philadelphia Phillies with a, a non-contact knee injury that could make him miss the entirety of the 2023 season. Season. Uh, the Mets and Phillies both seem to be formidable opponents, uh, but already a little bit behind the eight ball with, with, with key injuries early on. But guys, let's talk all things Braves here. As the Braves start to whittle down the roster, I think they're down to 31. they got to get to 26 by next Thursday. Saw Soroka was officially sent down to AAA. Maybe even more notably, Vaughn Grissom sent to AAA last week, signaling Orlando Arcia 
will start the year as the Braves shortstop with Ahiri Adrianza being the utility backup. What do you guys make of that move? And, and again, as you start to think about this Braves roster, what, what are some of the big questions you have for it going forward? I think it's interesting. Uh, we all assumed after Dansby Swanson signed elsewhere, um, and frankly, I think was overpaid by the Chicago Cubs. Uh, we talked about it during that whole Dansby Swanson saga. You and I were both like, bring Dansby back, but only if he comes for the right price. Uh, because you've got Von Grissom, and Von Grissom was so good. So when right. Dansby Swanson left, you assumed Von Grissom was going to switch over from second base to shortstop, which is where he's been in the Braves organization since he got here. Um, but for whatever reason, they, they decided to send him down. It was my understanding that he was playing pretty well in spring training. Have not watched a whole lot of spring training. Haven't really paid that much attention to it. I've had basketball to watch. But uh, looking at looking at this move, I'm wondering if they truly think that Von Grissom is not ready or yeah. do they want to go with the known commodity in Orlando Arcia while Von Grissom kind of figures out his last couple of things and call him up in a month or two? Uh, do they... Because Von Grissom clearly is the long-term plan going forward, uh, but do they just want Arcia to kind of hold, kind of stem the tide for, for for the first thirty or so games? Uh, and I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the plan is. And one thing's for sure: I don't think Orlando Arcia is the final solution uh, to the Braves shortstop problem. Um, but maybe he is. Maybe he just explodes. I don't know. Um, but I think it's really interesting. Uh, another tidbit to mention, the Braves announced today, uh, not really a shock, but Max Freed will be their opening day starter. So yeah. uh, him getting getting ready to you know hopefully be one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball again. Uh, I'm really excited to see how that order kind of rounds out because let's see. Let, let's talk a little bit about the pitching rotation. You've got Max Freed, uh, Bryce Elder they just sent down, right? And, and this is not in yes. any particular order. Uh, Charlie Morton's still here. Um, Kyle Wright, Kyle, yep. Kyle Wright, winner Kyle Wright, um, and Spencer Strider. So that's four. Who's the fifth guy? I mean, that's that's the question, right? No one, no one knows who that fifth guy is going to be. Looks like it's Ian, between Jared Schuster and I forget the other Ian starter. But me, me, M E J I. You're saying things, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, so I don't. Schuster looks like he has the inside track. He started for Atlanta the other day, went five or six innings against the Mets, and gave up two runs. I think it'll be the lefty Schuster, but obviously will not be Soroka uh, as he was just sent down. Right, and it might be Soroka at some point during the season. Again, this is a very, very long season, uh, so we'll. I'm sure that that fifth starter will. Uh, what was that? No, I'm, oh, I'm just proud of myself because I went around the diamond and and projected the rotation without any. Okay, fair um, enough. Fair enough. Aids. Um, I, I think that that is that fifth starter spot might get rotated a couple of times, and, right. and we may have to go even deeper than that because obviously injuries happen, uh, and somebody's going to have to miss time at some point. Cam, what do you think uh, about Von Grissom not uh, making the opening day roster? And then also, uh, just you know, what if, if there is a concern for you about this team, what would it be? So I agree with what Brant said about um, having Arcia uh, being kind of a, a placeholder. Just, just Von Grissom might be maybe just has some technique things, just some things he needs to clean up and and get better at, just get a little bit stronger. Because I mean, whether you know, however you feel about about. Dansby and the pay and all that stuff and the right price. However, he was a, a very, very good short, shortstop. Um, and, and that is a, a tough position to play. And, and that's going to be a 
a tough a tough void to fill um whoever ends up sitting uh, stepping in so you want to go with somebody like like brand said you want to go with somebody that just is comfortable with it that you'll know that you can at least trust um that you've seen out there on an on the in the mlb uh playing shortstop um and and being comfortable out there and just let grissom become um just a little bit more comfortable in triple a ball um with the stripers and and see how how he develops down there and then hopefully call him up in a month or so and um he'll be ready and and then you're smooth sailing from there because i do think i i again am agreeing with brant that he is the long-term solution there at shortstop uh i just think he needs to just get a little bit better um with the pitching rotation you know i I can't speak too much on it i I really like like brant said also i haven't really been following too much of it i've been watching basketball i've been watching nba i've been watching college that's pretty much i've that's like the only thing i've consumed um but uh, it seems like we do have those four locked in: Freed, Morton, Strider, Wright as our as our top four, and then that that last one we will see. Um, Schuster, I've I've heard good things. He he seems like he's pretty exciting, um, and and they maybe will give him a shot, and and if he can kind of stick and, um, you know, be be really really good, and then then we have our fifth guy, and you're totally fine and smooth sailing from there obviously like you said injuries might play a part and different things like that as you rotate it around but uh if you can get comfortable with schuster then then you have your five so for me when i'm looking at this team uh my my two questions are primarily back in rotation and um does this team hit for enough contact right. throughout the year i think they're going to have plenty of power up and down the lineup uh, first, on the rotation part of it, uh, as mentioned, Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd are the last two trying Dodd. to get the, the, the fifth starting spot uh, advantage to Schuster right now. Even with that, though, if I wanted to try and poke some holes and come at it from a little bit less optimistic standpoint, the fourth starter is probably Charlie Morton. He did not have a very good year last year. Now. There are reasons that you could go with that that say, okay, well, his spin rate was still excellent. There was some metrics that said he just had some flat-out bad luck last year. But he is a late 30s pitcher, and it's not for certain that he's going to come back and have another great year. It could be that he is just officially declining. So that's one aspect. Also, okay, outside of Freed, you're still working with a really young rotation. Sure. Kyle Wright was not supposed to be awesome last year, and yet he was. That was his first truly good year in Major League Baseball. They're going to need more of that from him. And then, of course, with Spencer Strider, he was awesome last year, and I think that as long as he's healthy, he'll continue to be awesome. However, here comes negative Nelly. I worry that for such a small guy that throws 100 miles per hour as a starter, that his durability might end up being an issue, whether that be in the form of injuries or just not being able to go deep into games late in the season. I I just have some longevity questions about a guy like Strider. Now, if he puts together another year or two of being healthy and all that, then I can shut up about that and not worry about it. He becomes just like anyone else. But, you know, there there is a scenario here. You'll you'll get great stuff from Freed, and we know that. There's a scenario here where – you know, you could you could have a couple really uncertain turns in the rotation. Uh, so the back end of that worries me. And then the contact aspect of it. Uh, Dansby did strike out a lot for shortstop, but batting average-wise was, was, was a little more capable. 
He was the highest on the team, uh, I think. Uh, he last year. I I thought he slumped down. Um, I could be wrong. I'll double check that. I did not think he ended. I thought he ended up in the two seventies. Uh, I will double check real quickly uh, because I know the site to do that. Yeah, he ended at two seventy seven okay. uh, last year, so still fine. Um, but but uh, you know his career average of two fifty five two seventy seven was his second highest average of his career. Um, nevertheless, when you think of some of the guys uh, that that uh, are are not here or are coming off of injuries, obviously when you let go of Freddie Freeman, he was the the perennial three hundred hitter. Uh, Ozzie Albies returning from an injury. Acuna last year did have the contact down, but was lacking the power. I, I just want to see one or two of these guys hit uh, close to 300 that are not the, the, the stalwarts of like Riley, Acuna, and Olsen. Um, whether that be Michael Harris again, who did hit up in the 280s, 290s most of last year, whether Eddie Rosario can see again. That would be that would be helpful uh, after his uh, LASIK surgery or whatever that was last year, and then the, the X factor here is Sean Murphy coming in to catch for the Braves. Now right. he's renowned for his defense, but he also is a two sixty two seventy guy with twenty home run power, which is not a given at the catcher position. Of course, Travis Darno will back him up, so it feels like the bat will be pretty good at catcher throughout right. the year. Which brings me to my next question. This now goes from a more of the potential negative side of things. So let's just kind of analyze what this lineup will look like. So the projected lineup, we know some obvious things. We know Olsen at first, Riley at third, Albies at second. They've announced that RCL will be at short. Murphy will be at catcher. We know Cunha has a starting outfield spot probably in right. Michael Harris will probably be in center. Right. I think they'll go Rosario to start the year, although I wonder to see if Kevin Pillar uh, can work his way in there. I think he'll be the fourth outfielder. And then it looks for all intents and purposes like Marcelo Zuna will return as the DH. Yep. He's hit 300 this spring. Uh, you know, I still would not want him to ever play left field, oh, but God, as a DH, no. uh, he has had his turns of being a really good, successful hitter in Major League Baseball. So, uh, with that in mind, how would you kind of construct that lineup? Because uh, we've seen two guys in the last two years leave that were top half guys. Obviously, Freddie Freeman that hit third, and then Dansby Swanson, who while Freeman was here hit in the bottom half, but then started to edge up last year and hit second a lot with with Ozzy Albies injured. Right. So, how would you kind of go about constructing that lineup? I think I mean it's pretty obvious Acuna is going to lead off. He's been right. that's where he's been at his best. He's been one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball history since he got moved to the leadoff spot, even though he's not your prototypical leadoff hitter. Um, I love, and Ryan, you've talked about this a lot, I love the chemistry of following up Acuna with Ozzy Albies. Uh, I, I like that matchup. Yeah, I like that matchup a lot. Third, uh, they did Matt Olson at, thir- at the third spot in the order for most of the last season. I don't mind that at all. Um, I, I think you could definitely put Michael Harris there as well uh, and move Olsen to fourth. He's got a little bit more pop, I think, but they're both really good hitters with a lot of home run power. Um, And I I don't really know where I'd go five through nine. Um, I I mean, uh, who was it? Austin Riley. Yeah, Austin Riley. I mean, crap, you could put Austin Riley fourth or third. I would would put Austin Riley third, I think. I would put him in the three spot, um, and then I would go Olsen four. Uh, Murphy five. I would put Harris. I would put Harris back at nine. 
Um, just have like yes. that tr- that yeah. leadoff hitter at the bottom yes. of the order. That makes yes. sense. Yeah. Um, so what am I missing? Six, seven, eight. I think. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Missing Rosario, Arcia, and Azuna. So I probably put. They can go wherever yeah, they want. Yeah, <laughs> you can kind of interchange them between six and eight. I, th- I think um, it depends on if you're put, facing a righty or a lefty, right, right? And I'd probably put Rosario like I'd probably put Rosario at eight, um, honestly, and then you know Arcia and and Ozuna between the six and seven spot. What are your thoughts on assuming Ozuna has a year like he had last year uh, and is not? A very capable hitter. What do you think of Darno as that DH? Because they did do that a little bit last year. They they take the backup catcher and put him in that DH spot. Oh yeah, I mean I think they'll absolutely uh, that would be the next logical move because they wouldn't make a trade a, a month into the season. Right. But if if Azuna comes out the first three weeks and hits two hundred with just a home run or two, then I absolutely think Darno will start to eat into those at bats. And again, I, I want to bring up Kevin Pillar because this guy is, is sneaky good for. Uh, being the fourth option as outfielder. I know that he's a little mo- later on in his career. That's why he's not going to be an everyday player. He's 34 now. Uh, but some of his stuff, uh, even dating back uh, 2021, uh, where he hit 11 home runs, dro- or excuse me, uh, 2021 where he hit 15 home runs, hit, uh, drove in 47. Uh, you know, this guy for his career has been a pretty reliable 15 to 20 home run guy. Again, I'm going back over all the Toronto numbers and stuff here. Um, and, you know, career in the 260 range, 259, a, a, a really just decent player that right. is what you want in a fourth outfielder because he can play all, both corners. And then he's also a veteran, so you feel like he can just kind of settle things down if there's injuries or if guys yeah. are, are performing poorly. Uh, but again, even as a Met in 2021, uh, you know, in 300 at bats with 15 home runs, I mean, that's that's 25, 28 home run power there. If you if you get the 500 to the 600 at bats of being an everyday starter, so I, I think Pilar is a nice little addition to the reserve outfield, a, a reserve outfield that took a beating last year just yeah. because everyone was either terrible or injured. I mean, Rosario was both. Left field was tough. Uh, Duvall had a yeah. tough year. Ozuna had a tough year. Uh, Michael Harris really saved them yeah. last year, oh gosh, or else the outfield. Because even Acuna, as much as we right. love him to death, he didn't have the home no, run uh, power last year. Uh, I think he still hit 270 or so. Right, he still had solid dub- contact and right. was able to get on base. but And stole some bases right. and all that. But uh, his home run ball was not there. He only hit, I think... 15. Like 15. Yeah, I was going to say 13, yeah. Hit, hit, putting this in perspective, I know little apples or oranges because Pilar's last full year was in 21. He was just a bench guy last year. But Pilar in 21, in 320 at-bats, hit 15 home runs or 13 home runs, whatever I said. And Acuna in 467 at-bats last year hit 15. Right. Uh, and we know Ronnie's got way more power than that. He did way. hit 266. It seems like he, he'll be back into full form this right. year. And he right. did steal bases. He had 29 steals last year. So Sheesh. it was just finding that just that little bit of lower body energy yeah. uh, to, to get a little bit more out of the power stroke. So I want to see Acuna return to that. Again, I I I really like Acuna and all of these one too. Yeah. I've argued that I since agree. they've existed. I think so. Um, it, I, I don't. I I think that when you have a switch hitter, uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense in my eyes. And here's why I'd argue Olson third, not fourth. Is Albies is better as a right-handed hitter. Right. So if you bring in a lefty, 
and and it's it's not Olsen leading off an inning, then you've got to deal with your penalty for getting the lefty lefty with Olsen is you've got the best version of Albies in front of them. It, the more you separate them in the lineup, the less likely it is that lefty will have to face both. Right. So I think the reason Snit could do that, and again, he might not hit Albies second. I could be talking of a non-relevant right. scenario. He could go Murphy second or something weird. I, I don't right. know. But if he goes Albies second, I think you got to go Olsen third because then you start to stagger things. So then you bring the big righty in after the big lefty and you have Riley fourth. Yep. Uh, and then you could go one of two different ways and it kind of starts to depend at this point how guys are hitting. Because right. here's what you That's got what left. Uh, if you go Acuna, Albies, Olsen, and Riley in the top four, then you've got a righty in Murphy, a righty in Arcia, a righty in Ozuna, and then two lefties in Harris and, and Rosario. Right. So you might want to wait till eight to ninth for one of those lefties. That's right. where Michael Harris yeah. might make sense. But right. maybe you want to do Rosario sixth or seventh, even Just if you like Ozuna or Murphy more, yeah, yeah. To, to separate that. Now, right. maybe I'm obsessing a little bit over overkilling <laughs> that, but because of the rules that you can't just come in, face one hitter, you know, right. you, you've got to face three unless you end an inning. You know, that 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 part of it makes it a little bit more relevant how you space your lefties. And Atlanta does have three lefties they plan on playing almost yeah. every day, despite the left-handed pitching. You know, maybe Pilar plays against lefties instead of Rosario. You know, that, that could be a corner outfield thing that they do. But Harris is playing every day. Olsen's playing every day. And then Albies as a switch hitter is playing every day. So there are ways to do that. I, I know Michael Harris is, is going to probably hit better than three or four of those guys in the lineup. So right. in that sense, it's like, man, putting him in the middle or towards the top would make sense. But, you know, I, I think that you want to stagger things, and then you also want – if Ozuna is good this year, you what? want him in that fifth or yeah. sixth spot because he's if he's right. good, it's going to be – he's great. run production. Yeah, if good. it's good, it's great. You if know, it's bad, it's awful. He's, Azuna's not going to do anything for you on the base paths. And right. so you kind of want Ozuna to kind of end the run. Yeah. So whether that be hitting right in front of Harris and then just letting Harris reset everything or hitting fifth – to try and finish that run of power yeah. with Olsen and Riley. Again, you got to get a good version of of, of Marcelo Zuna. Right, but and that, that'll, that'll depend on – I think that will depend on where he goes. I, I agree with you. I think that depends on where he gets put in the lineup. Um, and I agree with you on, on the staggering part of it. I, I totally understand where you're coming from and, and throwing in a, a lefty somewhere different. Um that way he's you know whoever said pitcher is not facing righty 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 you throw in that lefty somewhere it just kind of throws everything off and and they have to change obviously the way that they they pitch so i i agree with you wholeheartedly with with the sentiment that that you're going with the where you have to stagger somebody uh stagger them in there and, and by the way just for those curious what sean murphy's actual numbers were as a, as catcher last year if you want to say okay where does he fit in compared to darno as a hitter hit 250 18 home runs 66 rbis uh, in 148 games i mean he was a very durable catcher right? 100 sure. 140 something is about as much as you're going to see a catcher yeah uh play he played 120 games the year before and hit 17 home runs but did hit for a lower average hit, just 216. So uh, you're not going to get a 300 out of Murphy, but you could get 20 home runs out of that catcher position. And uh, I I think the lineup will be good. I I definitely think the lineup will be good. Now, we talked a little bit about rotation. 
Um, I should note that bullpen-wise, Rossell Iglesias, uh, unfortunately, uh, as of yesterday, has shoulder inflammation. He oh. will not start the season. Uh, with the Braves, he was going to be the closer right. uh, after so Kenley Jansen moved on. Yeah, uh, So that is a little bit of a negative. I think Kirby Yates should be good to go and has closed several years in Major League Baseball, so I think he would fill that void. Obviously got Mentor as an option at the end of games too. Uh, so be a little bit of change in the bullpen. Our, our all reliable Jesse Travis is back. So hey. in, in middle innings, we trust. Yes, sir, uh, Uncle Jesse. <laughs> Uncle Jesse. Uh, but very excited for the season to get underway. And when we get to next week's shows, uh, we might talk a little bit about the rest of Major League Baseball, in particular the NL East, and how the Mets and Phillies stack up to the Braves. But getting excited for Braves baseball just six days from opening day. Brant, as a matter of fact, has the world champion shirt on I do. Uh, today as well. Nice. Uh, take our first time out here in hour number two on to a little bit of Auburn baseball when we come back. We'll tell you about, again, what happened last night against Georgia and the importance of this series for the Tigers as, it, as life in the SEC does not get any easier. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call. On the air, weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry, and Cam Berry with you here. One scheduling update in Auburn softball to tell you about. Everything's still a little bit uh, hit or miss for the weather this weekend. So Auburn being proactive and trying to use the time they feel is going to be a little bit uh, drier. So a doubleheader at Jane B. Moore Field tomorrow starting at 2 o'clock. And then the second game, I believe, will still be at 6 o'clock as they try and get their next series uh, of SEC play in uh, against Missouri. And, uh, again, don't know. Uh, this is technically going to be Sunday's game moving up to Saturday. However, uh, we might mo- end up moving Monday's game to Sunday. They might keep it on Monday. Uh, at this point, everything is fluid uh, because of just the – uh, vast amount of rain we're about to get over the next three to four days, and most of it can be heavy. So, uh, kind of stay tuned to the social media uh, platforms just to what Auburn softball is going to do. But they are going to try and get in a doubleheader tomorrow, uh, as uh, the, the Tigers um, have a very important series against Missouri. Also, with a very important series for similar reasons, which we'll get to in just a minute, Auburn baseball taking on Georgia inside of Plainsman Park, and the Tigers able to get a W last night. I, I did want to reference something. We are, Again, we do, do not have the ability to take phone calls today, and we apologize for that. I remember at the end of uh, Ward A.M. Steve's phone call yesterday, he was going to bring up why 
Uh, some of these series are not Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And just the short answer to that, uh, if Steve is listening to this uh, on the podcast or listening live, uh, is that it really has to do with TV windows uh, in some form and fashion. Um, yes, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is still absolutely the main type of series you have, but uh, teams do have the ability uh, and, and, and as with the SEC network and all that to be broadcast on a Thursday or a Monday because there's not much else going on this time of the year that would that would take up these conference networks. So sometimes in softball and in baseball, they will play either a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series or a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series. And ironically, Auburn baseball and softball taking uh, part in both tail ends of that uh, before the, the schedule changed. Auburn baseball with a Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Auburn softball with a Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And that's how you were able to see Auburn baseball on the SEC network last night because it was a Thursday. They got to isolate themselves against most of the other series. And so it's really just a mechanism to be able to get more games televised across the SEC network and that sort of thing so they can stagger it uh, a little bit more. But guys, big win for the Tigers last night. Don't know if you you caught uh, a whole lot of it or or the tail end, but uh, Auburn really needing that after getting swept against Arkansas the other week. Yeah, caught the very end of it, and uh, just an incredible final at bat. Or the guy just is like standing up there saying, "Hey, pit, pitch to me, just pitch to me. All I want is a strike. All I want is a strike." And then you can't throw him a strike. It's just an incredible. I mean, to be to be down six to three uh, in the ninth inning and to come back is impressive in and of itself. Uh, but then to to finally get the win in that eleventh inning, uh, it's it's a great. Great first SEC win. Hopefully, you got a lot more of them coming uh, because I mean, you you didn't start off the season very well uh, with that series at Arkansas, and uh, obviously, I mean, Arkansas is a top five team for a reason. Yeah. LSU, you've got a lot of teams in the SEC that are some of the best in the country. SEC is tough. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's real tough, and uh, so so getting SEC wins against Georgia, getting an overtime win or a, an extra inning win, I guess I should say. Uh, against Georgia is a big deal, and uh, hopefully more of that coming the, uh, today and tomorrow. Yeah, big deal. Um, you just want to pile up as many SEC wins as possible. Uh, a lot of people, you know, nationally seem to be kind of down on Auburn, and Auburn's battling some injuries, um, <clears throat> kind of all over. So, you know, just kind of work through that. If you're Auburn, just kind of hold water, get as many wins in the SEC, like I said, as you can. Uh, get the getting this series against Georgia would be would be big time, uh, and if you can just kind of continue and build off of that success, then um, and and get healthy, then you know we'll see where this team is once they're at a hundred percent. Yeah, the win for the Tigers, the first one in SEC play. Again, as I just uh, mentioned, losing in Arkansas, getting swept by the Razorbacks. Uh, it was Carter Wright who uh, got the walk-off walk for the Tigers. And, again, a fascinating part of it uh, is Carter Wright is, is a, a spare part for Auburn, does yeah. not usually play in the everyday lineup, only 14 at-bats in the year. It was only two out of 14. And it just goes to show you, sometime the command escapes you uh, and four straight uh, pitches for a ball. Uh, and, and, yes, he, Wright and the, the Georgia pitcher, uh, we're getting into it a little bit, a little friendly banter or less than friendly banter, not exactly <laughs> sure. Quote, unquote. Uh, um, but uh, a big comeback for the Tigers, and, and here's why it was a big comeback. It is obviously very early in SEC play. You play 10 series of three, so you play 30, and this is number four for the Tigers. But we have talked in different ways about how good this league is. 
to give you the updated rankings coming into this week. Now, obviously, they'll change after four to five more games. For example, number one LSU lost to number five Arkansas last night. If that were to happen again, I bet you they'll flip-flop in the rankings. But coming into this week, LSU number one, Florida three, Vandy four, Arkansas five, South Carolina 11, Tennessee 12, Ole Miss 13, Texas A&M 21, Missouri 22, Kentucky 23, and tell your friends because you're 24 if you play in the SEC. I mean, everyone, uh, it feels like, is ranked 10 of the 14 teams in the Southeastern Conference are ranked in baseball. And I want to remind you that Alabama, uh, while they were undefeated before they lost their series to Columbia a couple weeks ago, they were ranked. So you've had 11 of the 14 teams ranked at some point, 10 currently. Well, do the math on the four that aren't. Okay, Alabama's not right now. Auburn's not right now. Mississippi State's not. And Georgia's not. You have to beat these teams yep. like Georgia, especially Got when you're to. at home. Now, a potential saving grace, a slight break, if you can call that, <laughs> that in the scheduling, is that Auburn does play all three of the teams currently not ranked in the SEC. Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama. They, they, they play them all. Uh, and, and so there are opportunities to win these series. But, again, that's why the emphasis, even though it's a long trek towards the postseason, if you're wanting to be a tournament team, you know you just got swept against Arkansas. And if you're Auburn, you know that you've got number one LSU. You've got number three Florida this year. You already had took your lumps against number five Arkansas. You've got number 11 South Carolina. You've got number 13 Ole Miss. And you've got number 21 A&M and number 22 Missouri. You, there are not many breaks. And, and, yes, they could win a series against Missouri. They could win a series right. against A&M, For sure. uh, depending on where those series are. But they're probably not winning even a game LSU. if you get, go off of yeah. uh, LSU or Florida. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Maybe they win one. But you'd feel really good if you just won one. Right. And so you've basically got nine games, because they already lost three to Arkansas, where you're looking at a one and eight, two and seven type of record and then you start to project out what you need to do to win 12 13 conference games and and it gets thin pretty quickly and so i'm not trying to bring doomsday upon auburn if they're, they're not able to win the series or sweep the series but, but again this is probably the second easiest series on paper for auburn right. all conference schedule long <clears throat> and so it was very significant in my eyes that they went ahead and got the first one last night and of course the other undertone to this team moving forward is unfortunately joseph gonzalez uh, it's just not. This does not look like he's going to be there for them this year. He is out, uh, as Brian Matthews and, and several others reported earlier this week, at least three to six more weeks. Wow. And again, you start to do the math. Uh, three weeks being the 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 front end of the timetable. Okay, you get back maybe the second week of April, maybe around that Texas A&M series at Plainsman Park, or certainly in time for Tuscaloosa. But uh, if you have to wait six weeks, then we go all the way out to May. That's brutal. Uh, and we'd probably be looking at the number one LSU Tigers coming in May 5th, 6th, yeah, and 7th as the target date for six weeks from now. And then newsflash after that, you only have two more SEC series after that LSU series. So uh, I just don't think Auburn's going to be able to, to get um, – much of anything out of out of Gonzo this year, and again, very frustrating because he was so damn good in the one time we saw him. Five right. shutout innings, through like forty something pitches. I mean, as efficient as he could have been, uh, and, and it feels like that has happened multiple times to Auburn's top pitchers in the last five or six years. You know, it certainly happened to Tanner Burns in his final year in the plans where he was. Uh, looking to be Casey Mize 2.0 and then got injured and it was not the same guy his final year uh, at Auburn. So it's any and all pitchers 
have to come and step up to the mound. Uh, we we're talking off air about uh, you love what you're seeing out of Will Cannon. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, having to pitch three innings. Some guys that were supposed to be in the bullpen, you think of bullpen guys as more short, short guys, but, you know, some of these bullpen guys might end up starting at some point. Some yeah. might have to go three, four, five innings in a game. It's going to be kind of patchwork for them. Yeah, it, it kind of seems like it. It's, uh, it's just – uh, I yeah, like I said, I really do like what I'm seeing from Will, and and he does have the potential definitely to be a starter um, at some point. Uh, it seems like they're kind of working him up and giving him more and more pitches uh, as as the games go by. So we could end up seeing him, you know, replace replace Gonzo as a as a starter potentially. Um, and then you have you know really solid arms. I think you know Armstrong. He's he's a kind of two inning guy. Um, and just kind of as the rotation goes on, you're right. It'll have to be patchwork um, just to to just get guys here and there, and just not not having somebody that as important as Joseph Gonzalez healthy is really going to have just long lasting effects. And just a couple more minutes left here in the hour, we'll finish up with some Auburn softball real quickly. Uh, as uh, right before we take our, our hour break here again, we apologize for not being able to. I go to the phone lines today. We hope to get that ironed out this weekend. Uh, but Auburn softball with a, an, another. I could. I, I haven't done the vast research I did with baseball, and I say vast. It took five minutes. Uh, it's called Google, <laughs> and it was great. Uh, but I had not done the prior research here. But it's. Gonna, I'm going to go ahead and, and bury the lead that it's going to be a similar dyna- a dynamic for Auburn softball as they take on Missouri inside Jamie Moore Field this week uh, this weekend because Missouri is still not going to be one of the higher-valued SEC teams. If you're looking at the top 25 coming in this week, here we go, same exercise, different sport. Tennessee, number three. Uh, you have to go down a while to Florida, 10, Kentucky, 11, LSU, 12, Alabama, 13, Georgia, 16, Arkansas, 17, Texas A&M, 24, Auburn, 25. So that's nine in the top 25 from the Southeastern Conference. Now, obviously, Auburn is one of them at the very back end. Others receiving votes if you want to have a party. Missouri does is receiving votes and Mississippi State is as well so 11 of the 13 remember Vandy doesn't play 11 of the 13 SEC schools are at least receiving votes and so Missouri is one that's just in the receiving column this is a home series I know Auburn had a tough go in OKC but kind of same dynamic where I know it's early I know you don't want to start thinking big picture yet but one of the easier series that Auburn softball is going to have not saying it's easy want to make sure you don't misunderstand but one of the more doable one of these series that that Auburn softball is going to ultimately need uh, if, if they want to have a good uh, postseason seed. Yeah, this was kind of the year of expectation for Mickey Dean and Auburn softball, and then you go to Oklahoma, and to be fair, no one's really competing with Oklahoma, no. but y- you you go and get, frankly, embarrassed the way you did. Auburn did not have a good showing out in Norman, uh, and they expected to be a more competitive team this year. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of... Losing to Northwestern twice was tough. Yeah, the, the Northwestern losses, you lost on walk-offs in both of those yeah. games. That was rough. Um, you've lost on a couple of walk-offs this year uh, has Auburn softball. So, you uh, you know, it's kind of – you're starting to hear people go, hey, is it time to move on for Mickey Dean? And I'm not going to say if it is or it isn't. That's not my decision to make. But I am going to say that people are upset with what appears to be a lack of progress, especially on the offensive side, because Mickey Dean's pitchers have always been great. We, we've talked about that a lot. He's a good – he's a really, really good pitching coach. 
But his hitters, you're finally getting these girls in the lineup that are supposed to be these really good hitters. And against some competition, they are. But then they go up, go, go up against the Northwesterns and the Oklahomas. And at some point, you're going to have to go to and, and play Alabama. And you're going to have to play uh, these teams in the SEC that are really, really good. And you're just you don't have the lineup to compete with that, or at least you have not shown it if you have yet this year. Yeah, I, I think the reality is, you know, and Auburn had been as good as anybody in the entire uh, league in scoring in the non-conference. Uh, unfortunately, the reality is, is that they were on the weaker side of the non-conference scheduling until this OKC tournament, which was going to be the you know the, the, the brunt of it. Yeah. And then they did not have good performances really against Northwestern, uh, and then certainly not against Oklahoma. I certainly understand Oklahoma winning both those games, not, not trying to say Auburn should have won any of those, but... Uh, being outscored, what was it, a total of twenty-two to one yeah. over the over yeah. the two games? Only scoring one run, maybe more than anything, is the sign that that when you start to play those Alabamas and Floridas in the SEC, you know the, the pitching staffs on those teams are, are are excellent as well. And and Auburn does hit a lot of home runs, but it's very dry uh, when they don't, and it's difficult to put three, four home runs off of an elite pitcher. Out of time for hour number two. We'll take our hour break when we come back for hour number three. We'll preview what's ahead in March Madness when hour number one we talked about last night's Sweet 16 games we'll look forward to tonight's Sweet 16 games coming up right after this you're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call Two hours of Sports Call are finished don't touch that radio dial we've got one more hour to go you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, and I've got Brant Daughtry and Cam Berry with me here today. Again, our apologies if you've not been with us, if you've been trying to call in. We are not able to take phone calls today. I know it sounds like it when you give us a ring. It is ringing, but we cannot see that. We're not getting that. So, again, we hope to get that back up and running this weekend because it's our entire office, not just not just our station here uh, with, with WTGZ. It's the whole office. So need to get that up operational again, and hopefully we'll have that up in time for the show on Monday. I will not be on the show on Monday. I have some personal matters to attend to. Uh, Brooks uh, will, will sit in this seat for me. On Monday, Brant did a great job of doing that last Monday. So, oh, again, thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so, <laughs> uh, that's where I will be. Uh, so, a lot of lot of chaos right now with sports call. There's going to be a lot of days in the month of April where we have shortened shows because of high school stuff and, and also Auburn softball. So, again, uh, we will continue to bludgeon everyone with with the info that they need uh, to be able to call in and the times that will be 
on the show. Uh, let's continue on, though. Let's transition back into NCAA basketball. If you missed hour number two, we were talking all things Atlanta Braves baseball uh, as they get set for the season, and then Auburn baseball and softball, an important series in Auburn, Alabama this weekend for both sets of Tigers. But now back to, to college basketball. Now we look ahead to the Sweet 16 uh, games tonight, uh, which one will be starting in just a matter of moments between the one-seeded Alabama Crimson Tide and the San Diego State Aztecs. The lines are a little bigger tonight. Yesterday we saw lines of one, four, four and a half, and one. And one of them might have gone to even, I think, at at tip time. But none of them more than four and a half. Today we don't have one less than four. They're four, seven, seven and a half, and nine and a half. So little bigger spreads today. Maybe not as much chaos as we saw yesterday, but we shall see. And the first two games up tonight are 1-5 matchups, starting with Bama and San Diego State. And, guys, um, I, I don't think anyone is of the opinion uh, that the Aztecs are serious threats here. Uh, but, yeah. what I mean, what would it take? What, what do you think has got to happen? Um, San Diego State has to make this a rock fight. Like, really, that's about it. That's really the only way they stand a chance. Um Obviously, Alabama Alabama can do it all. They can play defense. They can score, and and it they don't rely on just Brandon Miller to to create offense. Uh, they get it from Javon Quinterly, who has just you know March JQ is I yep, guess in full off. form, yep. yeah. Um, and you know you still have guys like Mark Sears, and you also have you know Bediaco in the in on the defensive side, who's your anchor in in there. Uh, so they, they they have all types of options that they can go to to really create production on both sides of the ball. And then you still have Brandon Miller, who in himself um, can be a, a, is a continuous threat no matter what whenever he's on the floor. Um, maybe getting in some foul trouble, maybe that'll be able to help the Aztecs. Um, I, I think that's really all you can do is, is just make it as tough as possible hope that Alabama has somewhat of an off game as well. Um, and, and if you can maybe make it into just kind of like a, a, a foul heavy game, um, then maybe if you're San Diego state and keep it low scoring, then maybe you'll be able to stand a chance that that's really about it that they have. Yeah. I, you know, I'm of the opinion that if you can make it to the sweet 16, you've got a shot at winning the whole thing. I feel like once you win two games, you've kind of proven that you belong. Uh, so San Diego state belongs, uh, but yeah, I'm of the opinion that Alabama's the best team left in the field um, from top to bottom. Not to say that they're unbeatable, but I think it is going to be tough. Like Cam said, you're going to have to keep it in a rock fight, make it an ugly game, uh, get some foul trouble. You're going to have to play well, you know, and, and that's about – that's really all you can do yeah. is just play play your game and, and hope that Alabama falls behind and uh, maybe you get a couple of lucky breaks. I mean, it's March. Anything can happen, right? We, we've right. seen – weird stuff happened before and and who's to say that the aztecs cannot make something weird happen yeah it's san diego state they they play really really good defense and it, you know they are you know mid-major d1 school still but they can't score they struggle to score um and i don't think they necessarily they have a lot of experience they have a few i think like fifth year seniors but they just they just don't have that that scoring ability that Alabama has, and I think that's just going to be the ultimate difference in the game. Yeah, I mean, look, it, I I don't want to belittle San Diego State, but I've talked, I feel like a lot the last two days where 
don't look at the seeds with some teams because my argument right. has been those teams are probably better right. you, than you they are with the, the seeding. Yeah. However, I think it works the opposite here. I'm not sure San Diego State is is as good as a five seed. Okay. Uh, now, I'm, now this is not a commentary that they were overseeded or 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 stuff like that. But I'm just saying that there are teams in that four to six range that scare me far more. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've talked a lot about Creighton, and we will talk about them in a little bit. Where, yeah, they're a six seed, and I know a hundred percent why they're a six seed. They lost ten or eleven games, but when Creighton's on, they're far more dangerous than that, and, and they have far more working for them. The where you probably shouldn't look at their seeding this time of year. But San Diego State, I think, is on the other side of that. The Mountain West is thankful for San Diego State winning because the Mountain West has had a, been a multi-bid league for a few years now, and none of its teams have been winning tournament games. They had lost like six or seven straight tournament games until San Diego State beat College of Charleston 63-57 in the first round. And so despite being like a four-bid league, their other three teams were out immediately, including one in the first four. Right. And, and so it, it's questioning a little bit the validity of the league, and then you go down the line and, and say, okay, if this team shouldn't have been in, maybe this team shouldn't have been seated higher, this, yep. that, and the other thing. The other thing here is, okay, the style in which San Diego State plays. I'm not sure you can outscore Alabama in a high-scoring game, but I think that's the better route than trying to win a low-scoring game against them because my issue is there's a certain level that Alabama is still going to get to sure. that you're just not going to put them and keep them in the 50s or something really low. Yeah. And if you're talking to this San Diego type, type of team, which is the same category as Tennessee and Virginia and yep. and Houston to degree, although Houston is is the best version right. of this style right. of play. Um, that type of thing just does not interest me much in making these deep tournament runs. And San Diego State only allows 54.5 points a game. They only score 71.9. And, and my thing is, is like, okay, are you really going to think that San Diego State, who is a, a great Mountain West defensive team, right. are they going to really hold – Bama to around the Aztecs' average of 55-56. Because if they don't, then what makes you think that San Diego State is going to then find the the 75 or so they're going to need in just a moderately scoring game? And, I, I, again, I I could be off, but but I just – I don't think either one, if it had been Virginia or San Diego State, they're both very similar. That, right. That's the, the yeah. four and the five in this Hinged region. Their defense. I just don't think that style is, <clears throat> is the preferred method of beating Bama. I think you're going to need a team that can score 80 score. or 85 yeah, sure. and then hope that Bama at least is not on from three and then they still score a good bit because they right. have other ways of scoring, but maybe they finish and lose an 85 to 78 type of game. I don't think you can beat Alabama in a 65 to 60 type of game. I just think they're just too good offensively to be held down uh, to that degree. So that's the first game up tonight, Alabama and San Diego State. They'll tip that in a matter of moments. 530 uh, will be that tip time on TBS. The next game is the other 1-5 matchup. I think this one's far more interesting. It's Houston versus Miami. Uh, Miami with really good guard play. Houston, obviously, with really good guard play. Uh, the incredible second half against Auburn. Uh, Houston, again, as I just alluded to, the best version of a defensive first team where right. they at least have uh, guard play where Sasser and Shed 
are very capable of putting in 20 or 24 points. You know, the, the, their offense might not be as dynamic as you want it to be, and there is some pace issues there. Yeah. But with San Diego State, for example, they, you know, the 72 points a game to Houston's 74 and a half, San Diego State's leading score uh, was 13.9, and they had no one else above 10. <sighs> Okay, but for Houston, it's 17 for Sasser and then three other guys with at least 10. Right. So I, I think there's still a clear difference there in what we're, what we're seeing is capable out of a Houston offense. Uh, but Houston and Miami, I mean, Miami, great guard play too. So what do Wong, you know, Isaiah Wong is the leader ACC right. player of the year right. here. Is it good enough for Miami's guards to equal out Houston's guards? Do you feel they need to play better than Houston's guards? Well, what what does that matchup look like for you in in the backcourt? Um, yeah, I, I I think I think you I think they have to outplay the Houston guards to really stand in much of a chance. Um, I I think. Marcus Sasser, he's you know all American. I think you know we all know what he can do. Um, and then Wong um, has the significant talent, so I think he'll be able to keep up with him. Obviously, he was the ACC Player of the Year, so um, he he's got it there. But um, I just think Houston is go is the all around better team because even like just an example from the Auburn game. Obviously, Marcus Sasser had a really good game. But I feel like they got more of their production from their from their front court. That they really were able to um, get that production out of Jairus Walker, out of um, the the guy Mark. He he killed Auburn on mid range shots for like five straight possessions. Um, the you know guys Roberts, uh, the guys like that. I think that's really going to be where the difference in the game is um, because I think the guard play is going to be a dynamic from both sides either way um, and. Uh, I think both, you know, the, both those guards, Sasser, Wong, will both score in double digits um, and, and, you know, be impactful in the game. But I think the front court is really where the difference in the game is going to be. Brand, did you uh, did you have Houston still advancing through this game? Did you have Houston Miami in this game, or I, I did have Houston in Miami, and I have Houston advancing. I think Houston does a really good job of playing positionless basketball. Uh, especially on defense, they they can guard one through five with anybody pretty much on the court. And you guys have touched on Sasser; he's an All American for a reason. Isaiah Wong that that's an incredible matchup, but it's not going to just be Isaiah Wong versus Marcus Sasser. Uh, they're going to switch off. Houston's defense is incredible; they're so de- so dead gum fast, uh, and and they can rotate over in such a hurry. And it's they're really fun to watch defensively. Uh, and I don't know if Miami has the guns to keep up yeah. with what Houston can do. I like Cam's uh, Cam's analysis of the front court that Houston has. I think their front court is a little bit better, and I think at the end Houston comes out with this one. I actually I've made two brackets, and I have Houston as my national champion in both of them. Okay, so very uh, highly regarded as as anyone should. I mean, Houston has been one of the best teams in the country from start to finish. Um, you know, I will note interestingly enough, uh, Alabama is a seven point favorite against. The Aztecs, San Diego State, Houston's a seven and a half 
against Miami, and uh, and I I I would bet all my money away if I tried. (laughs) Uh, But I would have thought that that Bama would be more likely to to beat San Diego State by a significant margin than Houston is to Miami. But that's why they're going to play the games, and and we'll find out. And I guess one thing to note about that Bama line is I think maybe the uncertainty of, of how close to 100% Brandon Miller actually right, is. But right. uh, I've said many a times, and you said it and we all said it, that, that Bama is far more than Brandon Miller. Uh, so if he just plays and is just out there as a decoy, I mean, he'll he'll do what, enough, yeah, I extremely think. Extremely impactful. Uh, the, going to the nightcaps now, Princeton and Creighton, that is the, the game that is matched up with Alabama and San Diego State, obviously. Uh, a lot of people lamenting the fact that uh, two-seeded Arizona is not here or three-seeded Baylor. Uh, but Princeton, one of the great stories here in the tournament, the third straight year of 15-seed has made the Sweet 16. Uh, I, I, I get uh, every Auburn person, I do too. What well, once once Bama to go home at some point? I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I still I can't root against a story like Princeton necessarily. I mean, it's still a, a fabulous story. And then again, you guys have heard me talk a lot about Creighton. I had Creighton going to my lead eight. I respected them enough to pick them over Baylor and over Arizona, who I thought uh, would have gotten to this game. And so you know, I, I certainly am very wary uh, of. Uh, uh, of Creighton, and really it's five guys. I will say that. That's what's dangerous for Creighton's perspective is if anything goes wrong, foul (laughs) trouble, injury, two guys not shooting well, Houston there is a problem. Uh, But they're starting five. Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, who Auburn people know well, (sighs) Baylor Shireman, uh, R.J. Nemhard, and Arthur Coloma. They're all dudes. Yeah. They all average at For least real. 12 a game. Dudes. Uh, they all do things a little differently. That's a good three-point team to shoot 36%, but Kalkbrenner has had a 30-15 and 15 game before down low. Uh, Trey Alexander, again, it, Auburn uh, really wishes they would have had something oh, what from what Alexander <laughs> Uh, who shot 42% from three this year uh, and averaged 14 a game. Then Shilerman, I think he came from either North Dakota State or South Dakota State, one of the two. Big-time scorer in the Summit. Uh, and then he's still been good at Creighton here, shooting 36% from three. And then Nimhard just had the huge game in the round of yep. 32. He shoots 37% from three. brother's in the league. Right. Uh, uh, Andrew. Andrew Nimhard uh, with the Pacers. Yep. Uh, and then Arthur Kaluma who's the, kind of their four guy, a uh, little undersized, which could come into uh, – right. could be a, an issue in the Alabama game. I don't think it would be too bad against Princeton, but is their four man who still averages 12 and 6. Uh, even he steps out from time to time and hits a few threes. I love their starting lineup. Yeah. And admittedly, I'm not going to act like I know a hill of beans right. much about Princeton yeah. other than what they've done so far in the tournament. But – uh, one of these two teams is going to the Elite Eight. And, again, I, I respect Creighton a lot, but it just by name you're going to say, wow, either Creighton or Princeton are going to the Elite Eight. Uh, but I don't know. Do you guys think Princeton's got any more magic up their sleeve, or, or do you think Creighton's just going to kind of overwhelm them with those five guys? Yeah, I, I think I think that's ultimately what's going to happen. I, I thought, you know, I mean, just I was very surprised, I will say, about – Princeton about how they just really dismantled Mizzou. You know, I, I obviously yeah. just not even speaking about what they did to Arizona, but just, I mean, Mizzou just, I mean, that was an overall very surprising game. I figured, okay, they upset Arizona. Great. Mizzou though, 
you know, Dennis Gates, well-coached team. I figured Kobe Brown would have a great game, so-and-so, how that went on. But, I mean, they just didn't. And and Princeton just did all the right things. And, and uh, they have had the guard, uh, it, Lang, Langbird. Um, sure. Yeah, he's he shot 8 for 17, 22 points. So, uh, you know, they have a guard, a guard that's able to, you know, produce um, – and so, I like I said, I'm I'm like you, Ryan. I'm not going to act like I know a whole bunch about this team, but it seems like they just have a bunch of fighters and they have a chip on their shoulder. So I I think it'll be a game for for at least a half. And I think the key is getting if if they are to win, the key is getting that starting five into some type of foul trouble and and you know getting getting somebody out of the game um, and early as quickly as possible. Um, I would say presumably you know one of their front court guys um and and go from there um and then if you're creighton you have to know that they're they're probably you have to be aware of that that they're probably going to target and probably going to really try to draw the fouls so you have to be aware and, and be precautious obviously not to the point where you're giving up buckets but you know just have more body control and and uh, stay out of foul trouble as much as possible because that's where all of your production is as a team is in your starting five. Um, and with that, it, you just have to execute as best as possible if you're Creighton and they'll advance past, past Princeton and be in the Elite Eight. Yeah, you know, I'm going to repeat myself here. If you can make it to the Sweet 16, you are capable of winning the whole thing. Um, and another piece of kind of armchair analysis, I guess, is would you rather face the two seed or would you rather face the team that beat the two seed um, <laughs> in the single elimination tournament? Because, I mean, clearly one of them is playing better right now. Uh, so, yeah, Princeton has a chance to win this. I don't know if they will. I'm interested to see. I, I Like y'all said, I don't know anything about Princeton. I know even less about Creighton. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I, I don't know. This, this Am is I convincing Creighton? you that Creighton is more formidable than yeah, maybe the yeah, sixth I mean, line indicates? And I have, I have watched them in the in the actual tournament. Since the tournament started, I've watched a little bit of Creighton right. basketball because, I mean, I, you watch the tournament. But it's been, you know, I, I don't know. I don't Creighton. know anything. I don't know. I'm not a basketball guy. <laughs> Creighton, Creighton started off the season very, very high. A lot of people were really high on Creighton. They struggled. Um, I, they struggled a little bit in non-conference going into their conference play, and then they kind of found a groove. They kind of found what worked for them, and it seemed to be to really, really ride that starting five. And um, since then, it's been mostly smooth sailing. Um I don't know how far they went. I think they finished in the top four in the in the Big East. I'm not 100 percent sure on they that. They did. They were 14 they, and six. Okay. And they, they actually had a better conference record than Connecticut. Okay. For, for okay. Reference. So, yeah. Yeah. So the, they they found a groove. They got comfortable, um, and they found what works for them, and, and that's kind of how they're riding moving forward. Um, you know, I mean, Big Dermot's a, a good coach. He's, he's yeah. he knows how to figure it out, and, and I think you know we I know you know that Ryan. You watch a lot of basketball, so. Um, well, well, you know, all, all, Creighton's always had good right, offensive and they, teams. They've, right, uh, be even back to when his son Doug was was playing there, and I think they they actually took Alabama out of the tournament in the eight nine one year, maybe about right. a decade ago when Doug McDermott was with Creighton, and they were back in the, the Missouri Valley. So they've always scored. Uh, the The key is can they find enough defense? And yeah, Kalkbrenner has kind of helped them do that yeah. because he's been really good around the rim, and they've been able to switch their three and four with Kaluma. And Shireman, but again, I can't emphasize uh, emphasize enough. 
you know, w- watch out for Creighton this weekend, what kind of games they're in. Is there a foul-heavy game with Princeton tonight, or is it not? If they're able to advance, is there a lot of fouls called in the Alabama game or not? Because they, I can't emphasize enough the drop between their fifth-best player and their sixth-best player. Yeah. And they even had an injury on their bench. I, I forget which player it was. But, like, they are as thin as thin can be. They're, they're rocking like kind of like Carolina did last year where they yeah. got five and a half, and that, that's about <laughs> it. Um, and, and so if they're in a game where at halftime you look, and they've got 10 team fouls, two or three of their guys are going to be in bad foul trouble. Right. Or if you look and they've got five fouls, that's going to be a saving grace. They should not They should be good to go. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about this game, we'll move on to the final game real quick, then we've got to take a break and i got to, got to shut up and pay the bills, is that Princeton has won against two very good offensive teams sure. in Arizona and Missouri. They yeah. have done a very good job. Uh, they only allowed 63 against Missouri and, what was it, 55 <laughs> against like, Arizona. Arizona. So they have played as good of defense as you can play against two offensive teams. So they should not be, in my opinion, they shouldn't be overwhelmed right. by what they're seeing out of Creighton, even no. though Creighton is really good offensively. But, again, I have tremendous respect for Creighton, uh, and so very fascinating that these two teams are, are hooking up in the Sweet 16, but we shall see. Last game on the docket for tonight real quickly. Three seated Xavier versus two seated Texas, and this probably be the best game of the night. I think it will be, just like last night, a two <laughs> three real. to end the night uh, could be the best one. Uh, Texas favored by four, so it's technically the the lowest line. These these lines are changing by the by the moment, and I don't know what's going on. But Bama just went down to six point favorite over San Diego State or oh. seven. I, I, does it seem like the bet I would take? But right. again, uh, I'm not. It's not my money. I'm going to lose tonight. So uh, Xavier and Texas uh, tonight. I think somebody had Texas going far Me. here. Okay. I have Texas right. winning actually in my okay. bracket. A whole thing. Yeah. All right. So why is Texas so dang good at the sport of basketball? They have experience. Uh, they're relatively deep. They. They. I, I mean, really. Then they have guys that can do it all. I mean, Marcus Carr is is extremely talented guard. Timmy Allen, who I think is up, I don't know, a whole bunch. I think he's up for an All-American bid. I'm not sure. Um, uh, and and they can score and they can defend. They can do they can do both very very well. Um, they won the Big 12, which was the best conference in basketball this year, um, and they really dismantled Kansas. Like it, it was it was bad. Um, and and uh, and they beat a really good Penn State team who who you know kind of surprised some people in, in how far they went and and um, they're 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 really good and I, I could see I could just see them making it making a run I think they have everything that they need they have really good coaching and and this team's been through a lot in in this year kind of you know how the stuff with Chris Beard went down at the beginning of the season they had to kind of get up and and get right with that. Um, the, the name of the new head coach is kind of slipping my mind right now, but, uh, he's probably going to be the one that replaces Chris Beard. They're probably going to give him a contract They're They've, they've played really, really good basketball. Um, and I, I, I can see it. I mean, that's kind of where I, where I land with Texas and with Xavier, you know, they're really good. They, they finished second in the big East tournament, lost to Marquette. Um, a really talented team guard heavy as well. You know, they have a, a boom who's really good kind of struggles with free throws a little bit overall, but a, a talented team. And I think I think this game will come down to the wire. Um, I, uh, yeah, that's about there what I got. I think close game. Uh, and, again, two 
really good basketball schools. You know, Xavier obviously not right. playing D one football or anything like that. So this is their main thing. Basketball uh, only. Uh, Texas has, you know, obviously exhorted so many resources for football, but they've also cared a lot about basketball too. I mean, the pressure that Shaka Smart was feeling there oh uh, after you know not advancing in the tournament for a few straight years. Right. Uh, even though they had really good regular season teams. I think, I think that's what kind of drove him to – not fired, but no, it drove him to, to take another good basketball job and and uh, and look for something else. But going to look forward to Texas and Xavier as well tonight. Again, that is the closest line, could be the closest game of the night. And uh, hopeful for another good night of basketball. I'm not going to expect it to be <laughs> quite as dynamic no. and, and as entertaining as last night's game. But as long as there is the month of March, as long as we still have March Madness, you just never really know. We need to take our first, and really it's going to be our only time out here of the third and final hour. When we come back, a what to watch for over the weekend, and we'll start to wrap up this week of Sports Call. Stay tuned. More after this. call into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm this is former auburn football player danny skutak and you are listening to the abbey award-winning sports call auburn Welcome back to Sports Call on this Friday afternoon. Ryan LaVoy, Canberry, Brant Daughtry with you here. Again, our apologies. Uh, we have not been able to take phone calls today. Uh, if you have tried to call us, you probably heard it ringing and thought we were ignoring you. We surely were not. Uh, we, we've had no uh, phone ability in the, in the entire office uh, today. We hope to get that uh, straightened out in time for Monday's show. And again, I will not be here on Monday either. I've got some uh, personal matters to attend to but uh, the rest of the guys will do uh, a great job and uh we they'll have a lot to talk about after this week of uh weekend of march madness uh and just continued a lot of uh, stuff going on and so uh to kind of preview the weekend it's time for what to watch for over the weekend sports calls what to watch for over the weekend what to watch for over the weekend is of course at first the continuation of march madness gotta love Uh, it we've been talking about it uh for a good bit of the show today but of course they will play the elite eight this weekend as well saturday and sunday we know the first two games uh for the weekend saturday at 509 will be florida atlantic and kansas state at 749 yukon versus gonzaga uh, th- I mean, even though that no ones and two seeds, I mean, three of those four teams, I still think would interest anybody with the way Kansas State's been shooting the ball and scoring the ball, uh, just how good UConn's been. And then Gonzaga uh, back making another decent tournament run again off the heels of a, a monster Timmy performance, a monster shot by Julian Strother. Uh, just, I, I don't know, who do you have? I guess, I don't know if the, the question here is to the, the ask who you got coming out of this weekend, the Final Four, or or, or a team to keep an eye on, but just overall thoughts here as uh, we will uh, be down to four teams a- after this weekend. Uh, overall, to watch for, I, I I have Alabama. I, I 
Marquette, Marquette and who else was in my final four? Kansas. Marquette and Kansas are in my final four. They were out. So that's that's two out. But I do have Alabama and I do have Texas, Texas. left. So um, watch out for them, definitely. Uh, I, I mean, I really hope that I'm wrong if I'm being honest about Alabama. Just, just going to throw that out there. I think we can all agree. Um, <clears throat> but um, I think – I. I think Creighton can make a little bit of noise. Honestly, I, I really, I really do. Um, if, if they can play well and, and kind of continue with how they're doing, obviously, they, like like you said, you know, they they really, really rely on their starting five, um, and maybe that down the line could definitely cause some trouble. Uh, I don't think it will be an issue against Princeton, but you know, never know. This Princeton team is just seems to surprise everybody continuously i mean they're a 15 seed so you know who would have thought at the beginning that they would even beat arizona and then beat mizzou so they they have really fought to get here and and so they're no slouches at this point they're in the sweet 16 uh so they do deserve that kind of respect um and then you know houston i i I think you know now that houston's kind of gone through their their kind of issues they they struggled a little bit and then had the issue uh the injury with sasser um and now it seems like he's kind of fully healthy and moved in and and moved forward um i i think houston will end up in the final four as well um so yeah that's, that's what i got mr Dontry. sports sports just uh, sports uh, uh any particular team that you're interested in this weekend uh, or, or i mean that you think is going to occur i well, I mean, I hope that Alabama loses to San Diego State first and foremost, uh, as we keep touching on. But yeah, I don't know. I like Houston. We we've talked about them a lot. I I really like Houston. I think they play a, a good kind of basketball, and I think they've got the star power at the guard position to to make a deep run. Um, so I, I think that if there's a if there's one team that I'm really looking forward to watching, it's Houston. Uh, I've still got three of my four Final Four live. I had Alabama playing Duke, so Duke <laughs> is gone. Uh, I would have just not wanted that. That's to just that's the meteor uh, game. Uh, I know, I know. I, I wasn't <laughs> gonna be happy about it. Um, and then I had uh, Houston and UConn. Of course, UConn already on to the lead eight, and then uh, Houston yet to play in their Sweet Sixteen game. They will tonight against Miami. Um, you know, I, I think Florida Atlantic still a great story, uh, being thirty three and three sure. and uh, going on to the lead eight already. You know, they will have uh, Kansas State. That will be a, a game that will probably be a pretty high-scoring game. Uh, it seems like just about anyone with Kansas State is going to be. And then, you know, if 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 I really want to see what happens if Texas gets past Xavier, Houston gets Miami, a Houston versus Texas Elite Eight That'll game, that, I mean, the state of Texas will be buzzing about that one. And that's for the right to go to the Final Four in Houston. Right. So to if Texas, Texas really. so if those two Texas teams get through to the Elite Eight, you're going to get one state of Texas team into yeah. the Final Four, uh, which, look, I mean, there are going to be big venues and big fan bases and all that. So I'm not saying that there's going to be some big advantage. But, I mean, it would be a cool thing for, for whichever team is able to do that. So I think you know of the teams playing tonight, and and you know you have to play it all. I mean, if if, if Houston or Texas gets to the Final Four, uh, you know some sort of little deal there uh, with them advancing all the way. And then again, I, I want to keep my eyes on, on Creighton because I think that 
I think that their offense can be very intriguing with their starting five. Sure. Again, I, I did have an Alabama-Creighton matchup in the Elite Eight, and I did pick Bama and would pick Bama again. Uh, but I, I think that Creighton does present the type of offense that could score a lot on Alabama and mm-hmm. could make that a very interestingly high-scoring and close game. Another what to watch for over the weekend. Sports calls, what to watch for over the weekend. Auburn baseball continues their series against Georgia. We talked a little bit about that earlier. Uh, two more games inside of Plainsman Park. And again, weather could be dicey this weekend. Fortunately, baseball's on the better side of things. we still got good weather for tonight's game. And then Saturday night should be another window. That's why Auburn softball will play two tomorrow, uh, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. Uh, it's going to be stormy, though, off and on for the next three or four days. And so uh, Auburn baseball should be able to get that series in no problem. But then again, Auburn softball uh, with a series against Missouri uh, that they've got to to fit in there. And also want to make uh, one other announcement. This isn't necessarily what to watch for over the weekend, but we will have another uh, wacky Wednesday next Wednesday uh, <laughs> Let's go. On, on the show. So I don't know if that's really a what to watch for over the weekend or more of a what to watch for over the next week. Uh, but we will have another wacky Wednesday next Wednesday. Um, not going to reveal quite what that is, but it will be food involved. And so we are looking forward to that one. There's nothing like a sports talk show that, that likes to eat uh, on air and uh, talk about it. So uh, we will be doing that next week. And again, we hope to have uh, some more great guests. We hope to get our, our Auburn Bank phone line back up and running uh, for next week, and we certainly appreciate everyone trying to be uh, patient as we, we get that uh, figured out this week. Um, again, going to be a, a fun weekend ahead uh, of sports. The basketball is is in the waning period now. Uh, after this weekend, we'll only have three men's college basketball games left. Uh, that will be sad. Uh, but then it's on to the NBA. Right. You do have NBA. Uh, I know that uh, last night, Isaac Okoro, game-winning yeah. shot uh, of relevance to everyone here. Jabari and Isaac have hit game-winning shots in the last two weeks. And uh, Walker and Kessler Walker had a game-winning game block. block. Yep. yep. And so uh, all those guys trying to – that was good unison, guys. Good teamwork. Yeah, uh, same breath. <laughs> um, and so those guys trying to – make impacts utah just trying to make the play in uh in walker kessler's case but you will see isaac okoro and the Cavs in the postseason uh jamari smith and the rockets are going to be in the lottery but so you got we got one of each there you got one solidly in the playoffs one hanging around a play in and one trying to get the magic uh ping pong ball that that gives them a top three pick or something like that <laughs> um but uh, about out of time for the show today just a minute or two left uh, time for a Sports Call Nightly TV guy to get you out of here. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Again, uh, the mission is simple. Basketball. Watch the game of basketball tonight. Six fifteen on CBS. It's five seeded Miami versus one seeded Houston. Eight o'clock on TBS. Fifteen seeded Princeton versus six seeded Creighton. And at eight forty five, it's three seeded Xavier versus two seeded Texas. And also the women's tournament going on right now. LSU and Utah locked in a close one right now. The two other games tonight. One does involve the SEC. Six thirty, two seeded Iowa and Caitlin Clark against six seeded Colorado, and eight seeded Ole Miss after their huge upset of Stanford against five-seeded Louisville. That one, 9 o'clock 
on ESPN. And that is Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Again, all eyes on March Madness. Be to the Final Four next time we talk. Uh, but we will enjoy watching all the basketball this weekend. That will do it for us for the week. Brant, thank you for being here, logging the long hours. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Thank you for having me. Ken, thank you for being here today. You're going to the baseball game tonight, right? Yes, sir. Enjoy that one. I and shall. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Yep. And again, we appreciate all those that tuned in today. Again, our apologies for the phone lines. We hope to get those back up and running on Monday. For Cam Berry and Brant Daughtry, my name is Ryan Lavoy. Have a great weekend full of March Madness, and we'll talk to you again on Monday.